These are Deep Thoughts, and I'm Deep Shah. Thanks for listening. My guest today is my good friend, Sam. Oh, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Um, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Sam is a writer in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, last night I was at her reading at Hullabaloo Books. Hullabaloo Books, yeah. The first reading that I've done um, in a really long time. I haven't done anything like that since we were in college together. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even know this, but you've been working on a book, which sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, th- well, thank you for saying so. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you um, want to tell me a little bit more about it? Because I can only not do it justice based on <laughs> the excerpt that you read last night. Well, it, and it doesn't uh, exist in anybody's head but my own. And there's there's so much more to that um, story that, I, that even I'm just figuring it out. But um, um, yeah, I've really loved both the um, both the genres of superhero fiction and noir for a really long time. Like I, I grew up with both of those. Um, they were a big part of how my father and I interacted um and that that those sorts of fictions were such a big part of our relationship for me growing up um he he died about four years ago um i haven't really done a lot of um like fiction or poetry in that span because i mean i'm i'm a working writer that stuff it takes a long time to sell any of that so i I haven't really had the time to dedicate to that um, yeah. But I try. To, I'm trying to make more time for it now. So I earlier, um, now I, th- I think it was at, yeah at the end of last year I started um, having this idea for because there's there's such a dearth of different kinds of trans narratives in pop fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you and I think if you look at the Wikipedia page for lesbian fiction. Um, or, or like, uh, or or like gay fiction in general, and the sub and the heading for lesbian fiction has subheadings um, uh, like tragic, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's like it's like different different varieties of tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's no there's nothing there's no there's so few stories in which um, lesbian and trans characters get a happy ending and are shown to actually be able to lead. Um, fulfilling lives um so all of these things were kind of swirling around in my head um and i'd fairly recently begun my transition uh socially and medically mm-hmm. um so all all of this was percolating around in my head and i decided what what could i do with this and i got this idea for a a trans woman who is a lesbian, um, she's in a relationship with a cis woman, with a cisgender woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and if any listeners don't know what I'm talking about when I say cisgender, it's the you, you, you're assigned a gender at birth. We're all both of us were assigned male at birth. Yes. Uh, the difference being that worked out for you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so she's um, my protagonist. Beth is in a relationship with um, a cis woman. Um, and so they have a, a, what I consider anyway, to be a fairly, uh, normal lesbian relationship. Right. Um, but the, the difference being the, what makes it abnormal 
is um, Beth's wife is a superhero. Right. And she's um, so she, she's an icon in the city. Um, but around the time that the story picks up, um, they uh, the police dig uh, Beth's wife's body out of the river, and mm-hmm. so the like the the big shining beacon of hope for this city, one of them anyway, is is found dead. Um, and Beth is inconsolable, um, and and flies into a really severe like. Uh, dysphoric depression mm-hmm. um where she's like uncertain of her own identity now uh she's built up a lot of her own identity as a woman around being with her wife and identifying as a lesbian and having that ripped away starts like taking a big toll on how she relates with herself right. um so she takes uh a lot of she, she takes refuge in a new identity that she creates for herself which is a, a a vigilante, um, which an identity which she uses to try and track down her wife's killer, uh, and that's that's really the the broad strokes of um, of what I want to do with the with the book as a whole. It's still very much in the beginning stages, um, but that's all of that kind of covers um, at least most of the tropes that I want to try and subvert with this with the there's so much like there's the dead lesbians trope that Mm -hmm. happens so much um in in queer fiction especially on queer tv um there's been a right now when we're recording this we're not too far away from when the 100 has taken a lot of flack um from its fandom for killing off um a main character who's in a lesbian relationship with the um, a sensible protagonist, oh, okay. um, who is who is bisexual, so that so it's not about like having, still having queer representation, but it's about like continuing this like really hurtful trope of like lesbians can't be happy, um, and so I wanted to play with that and with um, like the like trans people can't be happy. There's a big misconception in fiction. Um, that features trans characters, whether they're the protagonists or not, um, because as as someone has pointed out to me um, in the recent past, um, almost all trans fiction is written by cis people, right? And there's um, there, and so these misconceptions just keep like feeding into each other. It's a feedback loop. Mm-hmm. People read that trans lives are are unhappy and cause unhappiness for like their struggle our struggle causes unhappiness for ourselves and for the people around us and mm-hmm. it wrecks relationships and and everything and like it's uh, it's true that it causes a lot of strife um and i know this from personal experience and from the experiences of people that are very close to me and that i care about but that is not the extent of our lives it's not the extent of our experiences right so um that's like that's really mainly what i want to get into but there there are also conventions of noir um that are like harmful to all women in general mm-hmm. um and that have very very uncomfortable racial connotations um that i also want to explore and subvert um in that respect um so really i, w- I want to move towards more diverse narratives 
in the with this sort of fiction um but i'm i'm concentrating on the trans narrative because that's um that's just that's so close to my lived experience and that's what i can speak of course most to um are you based on what i what you read um last night and um what little you spoke to me about after it sounds like and correct me if i'm wrong <laughs> It sounds like you're trying to design a narrative and a story that's easily accessible to um, cisgender people also, and something that can be entertaining for them too, but in a way that they can also understand and learn more about um, queer experiences and you know what it's like a little bit to like peek inside the head of somebody who goes through these um, you know, experiences every day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, yeah, and that's, and that's what I try to do with uh, a lot of my writing. Um, I have a regular Friday column on trans life and um, uh, and political issues and and what like trans socialization uh, is like. What I do with my trans friends and everything. Um, I, I I write a weekly column on that on SpliceToday.com right now. Um, and that, but that's like, as much as I write that for the trans community. I also write that for the for cis people um, to try to broaden people's minds of what it means to be trans and what those experiences can contain. Um, because again, um, and I think I think it's great that um, you used the the word accessible, mm -hmm. um, because there there is a there is an idea that like cis people can't possibly understand um what it's like to be trans and to some extent i agree with that like um i'm never i don't know if i'm ever going to be able to communicate uh adequately exactly what dysphoria feels like like what the visceral um experience of that is like how it feels for my body to not be matching up with like what my brain says it should be um but I, but I can try, and um, I can certainly do it better justice um, than again the like the, the cis author, authors and uh, creators that have been doing it so far. Absolutely, is um, we um, like what when you when you say accessible to cis people, um, what I what I immediately thought of was the Danish girl. Right, uh, yeah. which came out last year um, and starred uh, Eddie Redmayne, obviously. And I'm really, I'm so embarrassed that I can't remember his co-star's name because um, she was fantastic. Um, but Redmayne played uh, Lily Elba, who was the first, who was the first trans woman to seek uh, gender reassignment surgery practices uh, or procedures. Um, and uh, his co-star, I'm so embarrassed right now, uh, played um, Gerda Wegener, okay. who was uh, who was Lily's wife. Um, and the movie, I I went to see uh, a press screening of it with a with a trans friend of mine. Um, and leaving out what the almost entirely cis audience uh, found funny about it mm. which was not what we found funny about it at all that was kind of uncomfortable but um what was really really upsetting was even knowing 
the broad strokes of uh, Lillian Gerda's story, um, it's the the movie is utterly false. It's a complete fabrication. Okay. Um, the in like the Cliff's Notes version of the movie is Lily um, like putting on women's clothing and uh, stockings to to model um, like pre transition. Mm-hmm. Um, Lily puts on stockings and everything to uh, to help her wife model um, for for a for a, a piece of art that she's doing, mm-hmm. um, and that awakens something in her, and she can't stop thinking about it. And um, they sort of try to work it into their lives. It starts just overcoming Lily, and it's all that she can think about, and she needs this more and more and more. Um, and goes well, and and her wife is very upset because she feels like she's losing her husband, but she wants to um, uh, she wants to support quote unquote him, right? Um, and they and they eventually um, like their marriage is basically falling. It eventually falls apart basically at the at the end of the movie. But she still stands there and is very supportive as they wheel Lily in to have her. Second surgery, which um, is to get uh, to to have a womb um, implanted okay. in her, so that she could potentially maybe have a child of her own, um, and that is the procedure that eventually killed her. Um, but in reality, that this leaves so much out, and it's so depressing to see that because Lillian Gerda's story is a fascinating example of lesbians living very happily and having um really interesting lives in the in the 1910s and 20s um they when when lily came out to her wife um Greta had already very much established herself as a sexual libertine and very bisexual um she was well known for uh, her, uh, for, for her lesbian erotica. Um, so there was absolutely no problem with Lily's transition. They moved to France um, in order to, for them to be able to live openly as a lesbian couple. They had wild parties in their apartments. Um, Lily and Gerda, like, they would kind of, send Lily over to flirt surreptitiously with some of the male soldiers that showed up to the parties, not really knowing what Lily's backstory was or anything. Right. And they would have like a quiet little chuckle about that behind closed doors. And it, they, they were so very, very much in love and they created beautiful art together uh, and they created a really beautiful life together. And um, the, and their marriage only fell apart because the the king of uh, of Denmark found out that they were living this life in France okay. and said, "Oh wait, no, two women can't be married. Mm-hmm. I annul. I hereby royally annul your marriage." Okay. And they said, "Well, I mean, if we can't if we can't be married together, then like that's that's kind of it. We can't be doing this anymore. That th- that's potentially maybe a step too far." Um, so then they went their separate ways. Uh, Gerda had a couple of marriages after that that were 
not nearly as good. Cis men kind of ruined her financially. Mm-hmm. Um, soldiers. And and Lily went on in the next few years to have, I think, five different surgeries. And then the last one was the womb surgery that, that did kill her. Okay. So there's little bits of truth in the Danish girl that they managed to like pluck out and then um, and craft this falsehood. Um, and that's what is held up as accessible trans fiction and accessible trans narratives mm-hmm. that pe- that cis people can understand. And that's so problematic because if the only way for the cis population to understand uh, us as trans is to misunderstand us, then what what dialogue can we possibly have? It can only further perpetuate false stereotypes. Exactly, exactly. Um, now, in the case of the Danish girl, how much of... Um, I haven't seen it, but I remember when you saw it, um, I remember that very night, and you know you were very unhappy because of the way that it ended up turning out. Um, I was very unhappy because of the everything about it. Yes. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, how much of that do you attribute to um, Hollywood being Hollywood? Because, you know, there's two, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I think that there are two parts to it. One is Hollywood has a known um, tendency to take true narratives and then change them for the sake of um, what they might think sells more. Um, and then there's also the other part of it, which is that, um, you know, cis producers and cis writers trying to tell the story of um, trans women. Right. I think it's both. Um, mm-hmm. I th- you, like you, you, you present it as, as two parts, um, but I, I think it's a little more complicated than that. I think that the two are fundamentally intertwined, um, okay. that, that Hollywood definitely, you're absolutely, because you're right about both. Um, let me be clear. Um, but Hollywood absolutely has a tendency to um, use its preconceived notions uh, of what will sell, mm-hmm. um, because that's well, like whether or not that's like correct or anything like that. Um, right. Yeah. That um, they they feel that they know what is like what's going to be popular and what's going to be well received. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is no there's no conception of a different trans story um okay. in in hollywood or really in almost any pop fiction there are there's a very there are trans writers out there that are, that are doing marvelous uh trans fiction um there's a there's a book called nevada um that again i'm you know me. I'm the worst with names, and I'm and I, and I like I told myself I wasn't going to forget uh, anybody's name that I wanted to give a shout out to. But um, no, but there there is a um, there uh, there's a book called Nevada um, that's gotten a fair amount of critical acclaim uh, by a trans author. Um, Casey Plett is a fantastic trans author, um, but these are not really given. These stories and these authors are not really um, given enough chance in the mainstream because their ideas and their narratives are so incompatible with what 
the commonly held wisdom is, is that um, what will sell is a sad trans story because trans stories are sad. It's like I said before, because the the idea for so many decades Mm -hmm. has been that coming out as trans means um, you're you're going to destroy whatever romantic relationship that you had as a ostensibly cisgender heterosexual person. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're going to go through uh, a series of grueling medical procedures and, um, and like awful bodily changes from from hormones, and uh, you're going to be rejected and. Um, and the, uh, be made the victim of hate crimes and everything, and like all of these things are going to happen to you right. once you once you come out. Um, and there there have been aspects of that in my life. Again, I, like I'm not denying the presence of those in trans lives, and and to really to deny that those are real would be also to misunderstand um, trans people. But making that the sum total of our experiences um, is so wrong-headed, um, but it's also, again, it's that echo chamber. Right. Um, it's that feedback loop that, like, those things keep selling, so um, everyone thinks that that is the way it exists, and then the, the since that's the way it exists, that's the only story that gets told, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Also, I think um, part of it is that all these experiences exist, but it doesn't define you and it doesn't define your life. Right. Um, uh, I've told you also some of what I went through in terms of racial hate crime and all yeah. this. And yeah. um, it exists, but it, at the same time, it doesn't define my happiness or lack thereof. Um, yeah. It's something so that it's happens to way. you. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong. It's something that happens to you, but um, in some respects... Um, at a, at least at a certain point, um, it becomes background noise Absolutely. to to the rest of your life. Yeah, um, I think you know going back to the echo chamber comment, um, a good I think analogy that popped into my head was uh, very recently all the Marvel toy. Um, fiascos that oh, yeah. happened uh, with Black Widow. <laughs> yeah, where and, is she? Uh, <laughs> and Gamora. Right? And Gamora. And um, also Rey. Yeah. From Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think I that's... I forgetting that she's a, she's a Disney princess now. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and, you know, I think that's a really good example of an echo chamber in an, in an industry that has these preconceived notions of what sells and what doesn't sell mm-hmm. and how it's a perpetuating false loop and um you know people that think men white men middle-aged my white men that think (laughs) that they know you know what's best um for you know what for people to buy right and the reality couldn't be further from the truth yeah and we're seeing this um in we're seeing this in the comics industry as um as like dc and marvel uh continually cater to the the aging white male white cisgender male demographic that they feel is their only hope to continue selling books instead of reaching out to to younger readers to uh people in the in the mogai um marginalized orientations and gender um 
genders and, and intersex people um and and all 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 of these all of these communities and and women of all kinds um the, and this the, there are so many stories that are that are that are ripe for the picking and they're fascinating especially because they're uh, they're not being told i think that's why um g willow wilson's ms marvel has struck such a chord yeah because there is such an unbelievable dearth of positive muslim representation in mass media so to see a muslim author uh create this really touching story about a girl like coming to terms with uh with her identity as a muslim but her her culture shock sort of of, of like growing up in jersey city and wanting mm -hmm. to be more western but also not wanting to abandon her roots um, and all this, and to to sort of bring it back to to trans stuff, um, Sophie Campbell uh, is the artist working on IDW's Gem and the Holograms comic. Oh wow! Yeah, um, and and Sophie is a trans artist. Okay. Um, and her work is amazing. Mm. Um, I it's it's really visually stunning. And she gets um, I don't think that she does the colors, but like they they really pop. But they, you need that in a gem in the holograms yeah. comic. Um, but it's so, it's for one thing, it's great for a visibly, uh, like a visible trans artist to be working in the industry. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, and it's especially great for her to be working on a, a female, a young female-oriented book that's like targeted towards that demographic. And it's extra, extra great for that book to have um, a, a, a trans narrative within it. Um, and I, uh, th there's been such a really touching trans arc that that's actually targeted around the misfits, not the not the holograms. There's okay. like, yeah, there's um, there's a character who's two of them are just the biggest misfits fans, and like they kind of want to bring her into the fold, but she's not sure like how to go about disclosing that mm -hmm. to them, and she feels like she has to because um, she's going into an all women space and she's okay. like well but people have a problem with that sometimes and like i feel like i i need to like tell them exactly what kind of woman i am and but what if they what if they don't accept me what if my heroes don't accept me as a woman and her friend who is the biggest misfits fan in the world uh tells her well if they're not if if they don't accept you, then they can screw off, and they're terrible, actually. And we're just going to leave, and we're going to go home, and we're going to burn all of our misfits gear, which is like is is really huge for that character. And so it's so it's so great not only to have, um, like to see a young trans girl finding herself in a, a like a mainstream licensed property comic book like that, yeah. Um, and also to have an example of how to be a great cis ally a cisgender ally to 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 trans people out there so all of these things kind of combine into like what what i want to see more what, what we deserve to see more in this uh in in the media landscape um when you were speaking i immediately remembered about all this uh i don't know if it's still going on but um a lot of controversy with um, allowing trans people in bathrooms. Oh, 
Um, Deep, that's going to go on for a really long time. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you um, are aware. But specifically the legislation yeah. that, you know, people have been thrown out there. Yeah. Um, and it's really, I don't know the right word to describe it, but I think it's disheartening um, sure. to see that. Yeah. And it's, you know, <laughs> um, do you know anybody that's been affected or would be affected by any such legislation if it's passed? Um, well, I mean, to be clear, we're all we're all going to be affected by it. Okay. Um, everybody, certainly everybody in the trans community is going to be directly affected by every single law that gets passed like that. Okay. Um, because that shuts off, like every state, every every city, every state. Like I'm not I'm not going to go to Houston now. Right. I'm not going to go to Houston until any uh, until those uh, those ordinances are struck down, um, not out of a sense of political activism, but because I'm I'm fundamentally unsafe there. Right. Um, so the, so it's the, this this closes off avenues for us. Um, it creates unsafe situations for the people that already live there, um, and. Even in even in places where the where legislation is not currently being introduced or um, or doesn't have a chance of actually being passed, like there's 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 no way that it's going to necessarily happen in New York State, right. especially because um, uh, Governor Cuomo and uh, Mayor De Blasio have both taken steps to uh, to ensure that. It is it is now illegal in New York State to, like, for a business um, or a facility to discriminate against someone uh, in terms of in terms of their access to facilities like bathrooms. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything for public perception. So what these laws like beyond the like potential legal consequences. Um, for, for trans people, um, that's that's scary enough um, because like fines and jail time. Um, the trans people have we, we are statistically some of the poorest uh, people in the entire in the entire country. Yeah. Um, and there was I've been doing research for a number of articles um, about this and about other things. Um, the the number of people. In a, in a, and with the most in a study with the most statistics available right now, mm -hmm. um, I think something like almost four times the number of trans people are living uh, proportionally um, are are living under ten thousand dollars a year. Oh wow! Um, as composed as opposed to the proportion of the general population, it's mm -hmm. it's uh, like fifteen percent of trans people compared to four percent of the general population. Um, so the so like fines and things like that uh, really just vastly disproportionately affect trans people everywhere. Yeah. Um, but even leaving that aside, the like the consequences for the people that um, that are in those areas, why it affects all trans people is the the way in which these laws legitimize transphobia and um, like specifically legitimize and encourage transmisogyny um, because that, that okay. that's in a lot of ways the 
the, the most pernicious and pervasive form of transphobia, transmisogyny being specifically uh, hate and bigotry against trans women and trans feminine identified people. Okay. Um, transphobia would refer to any like general, more generalized um, hate against um, a transgender person who might identify as trans masculine or a trans man um, or agender even or or, or non non binary in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, any anything like that, but trans misogyny is specifically targeted against trans women, okay. um, which is like kind of the the quote unquote face. Um, that you that I think a lot of people see when they think of of trans people is like a, a man who wants to be a woman, um, and so this this builds up this narrative in people's minds. I'm using the word narrative a lot on your podcast. I hope that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you are a writer. You're allowed to. Do it's, that. it's it's kind of my thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it really builds up this narrative in people's minds, um, consciously or unconsciously, that trans people do not belong in the bathroom that matches their gender identity, that, that, and that it is fundamentally um, all right or even a good thing to oppose them being where they feel safe, mm-hmm. despite the fact that like, trans women and trans people are vastly more likely to suffer attacks and, and hate crimes if they're forced to use a, a bathroom that does not match their gender expression. If a trans woman is forced to use the male restroom, um, she has a very very high likelihood of being sexually assaulted, of being uh, physically ins- assaulted in some way, or even just verbally and uh, emotionally abused. Um it also doesn't help um, that I've been reading about stories where people who are transphobic and transmisogynistic will pretend to be trans and then yeah. go into um, female bathrooms to kind of... I don't understand what it's a purpose. It's a kind of... Um... It's a it's a it's a misguided form of protest against these laws, and it actually has it, it's really I find it really ironic because it shows how much more dangerous this sort of um, this sort of transphobic activism is than actual trans people. Notice, I think you'll notice if you look into it that there the only reports of like men showing up in women's bathrooms and women's locker rooms with ulterior motives Mm -hmm. and um everything as the only reports and uh reported instances of of that happening as a direct result of these laws being passed Mm -hmm. is because people want to do this activism um there's been a big push on the on the far right to have people abuse these laws um, to try and make their point that, oh, well, look, men can go into women's restrooms whenever they want, which is untrue, mm-hmm. um, but and, and feeds into, again, this, this idea that, um, it, it feeds into this idea that 
trans women are not really women. Like they, they are, that right. we are fundamentally men masquerading as women. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's there have been really there have been no reported instances of like a, of a man masquerading of a, of a cis man who does not identify as trans masquerading as a woman uh, in order to get into the women's bathroom and, and get some voyeuristic um, thrill out of it or, or, to, or to sexually assault a person. Right. Um, what's really important to understand about this, though, and, and, and why it's so misguided, is that that is assault. And there are already laws on the books to, to protect women, protect everyone in, in, their, in the privacy of the restroom against assault like that. And that is, that is prosecutable and has been prosecuted on, on numerous occasions when men have gone into women's restrooms with, with those intentions. Um, so this is, that's, that's already something that the, that the court system does. Okay. That is something that, the, that police can take action on and something that the courts can punish. So to say that these like, law, that these, um, that the pro-trans bathroom bills that w- that it would allow us into the proper restrooms mm-hmm. um, to say that they somehow legitimize assault or legalize assault is fundamentally wrong. It it does not it does not do these things. And if that happens, then there are legal recourses. What I think is the fear is that it would somehow make it easier for someone to. Uh, get in and just establish themselves without um without as much fuss i guess um but i mean again there is no there's no security detail when when is the last time that you saw a like a security camera directly outside of a public restroom or a security guard just kind of watching the door Mm -hmm. unless we are willing to adopt truly draconian security measures in our public restrooms which is not going to happen absolutely not because that's a vastly worse invasion of privacy than like someone that you do not recognize as uh as a certain gender mm-hmm. going into the the restroom um unless but unless we are willing to take those steps then there is there are going to be like a a handful of in some in some ways disturbed uh or predatory people that come out and they and, uh, attempt to do something awful to someone in the in, in a restroom and that is why we have these anti assault laws on the books so that so that the police can do their job and the courts can do their job when that happens right what the, what the what these activists are trying to do is to preemptively criminalize going into the bathroom if you are if you don't if basically if you don't pass as cis right um and that and that's i think another really important thing is like there are this 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 is so problematic because it um it allows people to define other people's gender on site mm-hmm. um what, one of the things that I've learned in less than a year of being out as trans, um, and I and I've had I've said this before, um, to to our friends, to the general public, and some of my writing, um, I have a lot of transphobia to to work through. 
Mm-hmm. I have internalized transmisogyny that I've grown up with my whole life. So, I mean, if if I have transmisogyny and transphobia to work on, so does everybody. Um, so this is not like a, a dig on anybody. But um, there's... Um, There's this concept that you must, if you do not look exactly what a what a what what cis society says a woman looks like, then you are not one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so dangerous, and that's so that feeds into a lot of the dysphoria that that trans people feel. Um, like even even the the smallest. Uh, most innocuous, unknowing misgenderings that happen to us uh, in with, with for 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 openly trans people, but also for closeted trans people that don't have the option of coming out like that. That like that really hurts. But so to look at somebody and assume that you know that you know their gender better than they do is is more and more bizarre to me with every passing day. The, with the exception of a, a number of people that, a number of reported instances that I can count on one hand, probably, um, everybody that goes into, the, into, the, into a public restroom wants to take a piss or take a dump right. and get out because have you been in the public bathroom? I don't want to hang around in there. It's just disgusting. <laughs> That's super gross. I'm probably <laughs> gonna get a disease just like being there. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, especially if we're going to Chipotle. But that's another it's story. Just like, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like there's. I think these uh, these far right activists live in such a fantasy land mm-hmm. where trans people are living this grand masquerade where we're going through we're jumping through a mind-boggling number of hoops in order to be predatory in order to trick good upstanding cisgender men into uh illicit sex because obviously we're all sex workers um which is another part of transphobia that is just really terrible the the stigma against trans sex work um, which is, I mean, a lot of times the the only recourse for people that are living under that that ten thousand year mark I mentioned earlier. Right. Um, that's another thing. But like, there's so many, there's so 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 many harmful narratives out there that just perpetuate transphobia and perpetuate this utterly false idea of what it fundamentally means to be transgender. Um, and I think that's. That is why it's so important for uh, trans creators of all kinds to do any kind of work that they possibly can to get more trans stories out there, whether that's nonfiction. That's a lot of what I've been doing um, in the past year, just, just writing about my life, trying to get more things out there. It's like, this is how I feel about things. This is, how, this is what it actually means to be going through transition and like feeling raw about everything, um, or to do fiction, right. uh, what I'm dabbling in right now, or what um, a lot of trans women have already done. Again, like read, 
if you're out there and you haven't read Nevada, do it now. It's 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 heartbreaking and it's um it's a really amazing portrait of uh of finding yourself as a as a trans person. Um but this but that's how that's how we're going to fight this. Mm-hmm. That we're going to change the the cis perpetuated stories uh that are being told about us both in the both in the news media and in the and in Hollywood and everything and it's it's going to take a lot of very concerted effort I would um, actually to, argue to that um you know one of the best ways to enact change and to um change public perceptions is through popular media and through mass media and Absolutely. Um, you know, the majority of people anywhere in the world, um, that's what they consume. And that is where they get these preconceived notions from. And, you know, most people aren't going to go out of their way to read up on things that they're not familiar with or to read nonfiction. And, um, you know, they'll go to the latest Marvel movie or they'll go to the right. latest blockbuster and um, whatever they see, that's what they absorb. And so, mm-hmm. you know, um, I absolutely think and 100% agree with you on that. You know, that's, that's, it's going to take a long time, but yeah. You know, that's, and that's why like, um, it's, and it's even little things yeah. like, um, one of the things about the Danish girl was that Eddie Redmayne was even playing a trans woman in the first place. Those roles should be going to trans women. Um, right. that's what like, there's a, when movies come out like Tangerine, and when web series come out like her story that's a that's a big one like her story is maybe a half an hour long mm-hmm. over six episodes um it might be a little longer than that it might be closer to an hour but it's but it's so short and it's on youtube and anyone can watch her story mm-hmm. um and that that was great. I binged watched that and it's it's fantastic there are there are trans women playing. Uh, playing trans women in very different parts of their lives, um, and like actually, and actually finding, working through bad relationships and finding new good ones, um, and actively combating uh, transphobia that they meet in everyday life, both from uh, like kind of shitty people and from like people that, re- but mostly from people that really think that they're doing the right thing, like feminist activists um, who like uh, trans. It's they're there's they don't like to be called this, but they're turfs. They're trans exclusionary radical feminists, okay. um, and you know they they make ostensibly feminist spaces unsafe for for trans women. Mm-hmm. But the but to so to see a representation of like a strong trans lawyer who's fighting against injustice every single day um, and doesn't take any crap from from people like that. And to see uh, also a trans woman who's uh, played by Jen Richards, who's amazing. She's so great. I love her. Um, she she plays one that's more fragile, and she's in uh, an abusive relationship and doesn't really know quite how to get out. But mm-hmm. she starts having this uh, this other like m- more fulfilling, emotional, romantic um, relationship with a with a cis reporter who's like finding out about about all this. Uh, trans stuff for the first time so that's and that goes back to accessibility like that's a great intro point um and it allows the story to kind of like do a little bit of trans 101 but it's also for trans people it's so cathartic for cis people it's so informative and also like and, and really touching i think 
um, because you can't deny some of the emotional content in there. And um, I think speaks to a lot of different people's experiences, no matter what their gender identity is. Mm-hmm. But that's the kind of stuff that that's I, I totally agree. That's like fiction, fictions especially will absolutely change people's perception of real life issues and real life people. Um, so I'm, I really, I want to be, I want to be a part of that. I hope I can in the future. Um, I'm just going to keep plugging away, but, um, yeah, we, we, we just need, we need more of that. We need to be producing more of that as a community and we need more cis people to be listening to when we are telling our stories. Like we, cis people, like, I know that y'all want to talk a lot. And it's really fun to talk. Uh, we've yeah. been talking for a while now um, yeah. together. And, but, but sometimes uh, it's just, it's so much better to sit down and to be quiet. And quiet is great. Quiet is when some of your best thinking gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we, and that's what we need right now. We need uh, cis people to be quiet and think about what we are saying. Because we've been saying it for so long. But now we're reaching a point where we have to be heard. We wanted to be heard for for so many, so many years before this. But it's not it's not an option anymore to not be heard. I know I, for one, am really looking forward to listening to your story when it comes out. Oh, thank you. I uh, guess there will be an audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's just put that out there right oh, yeah. now. Yeah, let's. Who's, who's your, uh, your dream audiobook narrator? Have you heard my voice? I have a great voice. Oh. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I would. Oh my God. Um, I already like name dropped how much I love her um, already, but right now I like, I, I would love to have Jen Richards okay. uh, do the, the, one of the producers and the, and the star of, of her story. I, lo- I love her voice. I love her aesthetic. That's not going to come through on the audio book, but no, and she is just, she's just so great um, and does, um really amazing um so what i actually would really love is to do it like now, now i'm like fan casting everything <laughs> in my head i um i want to maybe we can do it like the uh like the harry potter um audiobooks and have oh wait no no that was just one dude um but like to like to have a cast of of characters um right. and, and have everybody come in and like and That'd different really people cool. voice voice different people um there will probably be a, a um at least one trans sex worker in the book um so bailey J, if uh you're if you're listening to this podcast um call me <laughs> or just i mean just call me in general like we, we can we can talk you're cute um <laughs> awesome love it um yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, Sam. Thanks so much for having me, dude. This was really great. Have fun at your anti-Trump rally. Oh, I will. I'm always a good time. Yeah. <laughs>